My father was an orphan. Growing up, that was something I always knew to be a matter of fact. I don't really remember when I learned about my grandparents' accident, or when I realized that it wasn't the norm to only interact with one side of my family tree. But I do know that once I became aware of my family's rare circumstances, it was hard to forget. I don't know, maybe it was that scar, a curvy reminder of my father's past etched into his forehead. It's much fainter now, but back then, as a kid, it was like a beacon, always prompting me to think about the grandparents and Anne I never met. Welcome to Here's What I've Heard. I'm your host, Courtney Abood. Each season, we'll tell a family story by speaking to those who were there, those affected, and those who can shed a light on the circumstances. We'll also look at court documents, newspaper archives, and other relevant records to corroborate their stories. We may not learn every detail, and in the end, the story may have a few small holes, but we'll get as close to the truth as we can. And we'll start with my family's story. So, here's what I've heard. My family didn't really talk about what had happened on November 6, 1965. As a kid, I'd concocted a whole fictional narrative in my mind. My dad couldn't tell me. He didn't know. He was four years old at the time of the accident. He wasn't even sure how his parents had met. So I just filled in the blanks myself. I knew they lived in California, so clearly they were beach bums. My dad liked to sing, so obviously his parents did too but I had no idea if these were just, as my uncle calls them, a young kid's fantasies. And then one day in my early 20s, my dad mentioned that, as a college student, he'd gone to the library to dig through microfiche for articles about his accident. He'd come up empty-handed, but I thought to myself, it's all online now. I can find my way around a digital newspaper archive. I signed up for a genealogy website and typed in my grandfather's name. Almost immediately, I was presented with accounts of the accident from newspapers based on both coasts. When I called my dad that night, my heart was beating through my chest. What I was about to tell him wasn't just about me becoming familiar with my grandparents. It was about him becoming familiar with them too. Jerry and Linda Klein were the parents he'd never truly known. One of the first articles that I came across was from the Lebanon Daily News, which was, and still is, the go-to paper in my grandparents' hometowns back in Pennsylvania. On the front page, under a larger headline that read, U.S. Planes Smash Seven Missile Sites, were the very words my dad had been looking for as he scrolled through miles of microfiche in the 80s. Former county couple, daughter, killed in crash crash in California. California. Two Two sons sons injured. 
A former Lebanon County couple and their 15-month-old daughter were killed Saturday evening in an auto accident near Lamore, California. Their two young sons were injured in the crash. Killed were Gerald Eugene Klein, 23, formerly of Anvil, his wife, Linda Jean, 21, formerly of Lebanon, and their daughter, Teresa Robin. The Klein's two sons, Jerry Lynn, 4, and Paul Edward, 3, are in a hospital in Lemoore with internal injuries. Klein's mother, Mrs. Daniel A. Klein, Anvil, said today that the family was en route to Lemoore to visit friends when the accident occurred. She said she was informed that another car crossed the highway medial strip and hit the Klein station wagon head-on. It is believed that the Klein sons were saved from more serious injury by the fact that they were playing on the floor in the back of the station wagon when the accident occurred. The article went on to provide hints of Gerald, called Jerry by his friends and family, and Linda's life before their accident, dropping small details about Jerry's job, his Navy career, what churches he and his wife attended as children. But even with all these new clues, I knew immediately that I was going to have to do some more digging. There were inconsistencies in the story already. Jerry's name was spelled wrong, and some simple math told me that Teresa Robin, or simply Robin as she was known to the family, was only 13 months old at the time of the accident, not 15. Most importantly, the article didn't have any details about the other driver. Who was he? Every time I answered one question, another cropped up in its place. But over the past nine years... I've spoken to dozens of family members, acquaintances, and even government officials to answer them all. More on what I discovered after this. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, loves sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to school. We were going through a green light when another car ran a red light and hit us, killing Joe. The National Safety Council estimates one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. Visit nsc.org slash callskill. After finishing boot camp in 1961, my grandfather, Jerry Klein, was stationed in Lemoore, California. Situated near Fresno, Lemoore was first settled by a French doctor, Laverne Lee Moore, in April of 1871. The town was known for its cultured citizens, and it enjoyed a thriving economy based in milled flour, wheat, wool, and fruit. Fast forward to 1941, when the United States Army built a training field in Lemoore during World War II. The base was transferred into Navy ownership and commissioned as Naval Air Station Lemoore in 1961, the same year that Jerry arrived for duty. In 1964, Jerry had fulfilled his Navy contract, and the family moved roughly 30 miles south to Avenal. A slightly larger town, Avenal had gained prominence due to the discovery of oil in 1928. The following year, Standard Oil moved in, building homes, installing a fire department, and erecting a shiny new movie theater to entertain their employees. I reached out to the Avenal Historical Society to hear more about what the town was like while my grandparents were there. I explained who I was, what I was doing, and what I was looking to get out of the interview. The Society's president, Linda Hamner, who I'll refer to as Miss Hamner for clarity, got back to me in less than an hour. I was expecting a, Hi, Courtney, we'd be happy to jump on the phone with you. What day works best? 
What I got instead was the shock of my life. I was sitting in a meeting when I saw her response. Courtney, please contact me. My name is Linda, and I am the president of the museum here in Avenal. It just so happens that I was the second person to come upon the accident you were talking about, something I will never forget. Please call. So glad to hear the boys are okay. All I was looking for at this point was a little context and historical insight into Avenal's history. But what I got was an eyewitness account. Every time I come up that hill, even to this day, I mean, just a week or two ago, I came up the hill and told my friend, God, I wonder whatever happened to those kids. Isn't that weird? It's so weird. I was telling the girls down at the at the museum, and they said that's neat that, that at least the closure was there on that particular. I, I hate using the word closure because I, I, in death, I don't think it is even anything. But, uh, you know, with something like this where you keep thinking about something over the years, mm-hmm. and it finally comes full circle, you know. Jerry and Linda seemed to really enjoy their life in Avenal. Linda sent photos and postcards back to her family in Pennsylvania with little notes written on the back about how they were getting along. On one postcard, Avenal's main avenue is shown, flanked by the theater, a cafe, a motel, and several other shops. On the back, she wrote, Dad, this is our main cafe in our town. It's not much, but it supplies you with all your needs. Look at the picture and look where it says cafe. That is where Jerry and I ate the first few days we were here in Avenal. Grigsby's is where Jerry plays pool. We live about three blocks from town. Well, must go. We all love you. Linda, Jerry, Jerry Lynn, and Paul. Because the universe could not possibly be more aligned, Miss Hamner grew up just two houses down from my grandparents. I know where they live because their address was published in several newspaper articles about the accident. At the time, Miss Hamner was enrolled in a beauty school in Fresno, so she wasn't living in the house, but her parents were. And the house, apparently, that your your grandparents lived in is gone and has been replaced with a newer home. Well, let me tell you, I went down to uh, 425 West Merced, which is just two blocks away from me. It was absolutely the last house on the block before you hit 33 highway i mean they could not have gotten any closer than that to being out of town she also remembers grigsby's and the cafe that's seen on the postcard note that she accidentally refers to jerry and linda as my parents but you get the picture that's right they they ate in rogers uh uh it was like a nice little dining room you know like a little restaurant Uh uh-huh and they had a bar in there, and then Grigsby's was right next door, and it was, they had a, a, a bar in there, which was kind of like just a beer bar, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they had, uh, but the kids could go in there and, and even play pool, because it wasn't, they didn't serve liquor to kids or anything, that, that's separate. They also, they also served sandwiches and stuff like that, and they had, oh, two or three pool tables in there, if I'm recalling calling right. It was a wonderful little town. I mean, had your parents lived, they would have enjoyed so much living in Avenel. Yeah. I, it, we were, I, I swear to goodness, looking back on my childhood, we were the Mayberry of California. Uh, there was just wonderful, wonderful people here, and they 
they cared about each other. It was a very, I mean, I had more parents in this town than Carter had liver pills. I couldn't do anything. Side note, if you're trying to figure out what more parents in this town than Carter had liver pills means, you're not alone. I've got you covered. Carter's Little Liver Pills was a popular remedy from the early 20th century that claimed to cure headache, constipation, and indigestion. It was heavily advertised until the 1960s, and that's about the time it started spawning variations of Miss Hamner's aforementioned idiom. Okay, history tangent over. I could not do anything because my folks would find out. Yeah, so everybody kind of knew everybody else? Oh yeah, everybody knew everybody. Miss Hamner's father was also an employee of Standard Oil although he had a different job with the company than my grandfather, and so it's unlikely that they worked with one another. She remembers what it was like to grow up in a Standard Oil family. Well, I'll tell you what, he would have had a wonderful, wonderful job for a long time, and uh, it would have been a great community for the boys to grow up in. We had absolutely the number one schools in the state of California. Standard Oil saw to that. They, they... Their taxes paid for the schools. Actually, Standard Oil built the schools for Avenel, built the, the theater. What else did they build? Half of the town, most of the town. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and they treated their men good. My dad retired after 39 years from Standard. Wow. And he, uh, it was hard work. It was, it was honest work, and, you know, and that's what these guys were. These were guys that came back from the service, and they went to work out there in a wildcat type of a situation because they were booming out here. Mm-hmm. That's what the town was. It was a boom town. It was an oil town. Now it's an agriculture town, but at that time it was a boom town. And let me tell you, Standard Oil built this town, mm-hmm. and he t- they took care of their men. So they built everything around here. Yeah, it was a real close-knit uh, community, and it was a wonderful place to be, I'm telling you. It was the top-notch place to, to raise a kid. Our dinner bell was the light came on at night. That's how we had to be. We had to be home before dark 30, my mother always said. Be home before dark 30. On another postcard from my grandmother, the First Baptist Church of Avenal looks much as it still does today, standing quaint and alone on the corner with a petite bell adorning the top. Linda writes, Dad, right around this church is where we live. It gives you an idea of what it looks like around us. The weather here is real nice. The grass is turning green already, and the trees have buds on them. We are fine and in good health. The boys are growing big and strong. Paul has two teeth on the bottom already and crawls. Have a happy birthday and many more. Love from all of us. Nine months later, the Kleins piled into their station wagon to visit friends back in Lemoore. Although the sun had already set when the family took off toward the Avenal cutoff between 6.30 and 7 p.m., weather records from the time report that it was a warm, clear evening. It was perfectly clear. There was a reason for that accident other than alcohol. I was, I was 18 going to beauty college in Fresno. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I came home, visited for the weekend, and went back. Meanwhile, traveling southbound, Thomas Kaler, or Tommy, as friends and family knew him, was driving at a high speed in the opposite direction. He was heavily intoxicated, and his car was veering into the wrong lane. My dad believes he remembers a flash of what happened next. When I sat down with him late one summer night, 
He drummed his fingers nervously on the table as he told me what he could recall. And then the only other thing I remember is, and I keep thinking about this, is we were playing on the floor of the station wagon. Somebody saying, get back in your seat. That's all I remember. I don't remember. Maybe that happened afterwards. Maybe that was my grandmother saying that after the accident because we used to play on the floor all the time and and uh, she told us to get back in the seat. So I'm not really clear if that's, I remember that. So. He's a year younger than his older brother, but my Uncle Paul also has a vague memory of what occurred. Uh, unbelievably, I have a memory flash of the accident. And the only, the memory flash is of uh, Jerry and I flying into the seats. That's the only memory I have of that. In reality, it was Paul who flew through the seats. My father, Jerry, and I realize this will be confusing going forward, so I'll try to be as clear as possible when talking about my grandfather, Jerry, versus his son. But four-year-old Jerry flew through the windshield. Not long after the accident occurred, 19-year-old Gary Walker, a former classmate of Miss Hamner, arrived at the scene. Gary was the first one on the accident, and he saw how horrific it was. He recognized my car because we went to school together, you know, and it's a small town. And he stopped me, oh, probably 200 yards back from the accident. And he, and he told me to flip around and go back to PG&E and call, there, there was a PG&E uh, plant down at the end of the hill, the bottom okay. of the hill. He says, go back there and call the ambulance and the police. And I says, what's going on? He says, well, I think the two adults are dead. And he says, I don't know about the guys in the other car, but it was a head-on. And uh, what I found out later from him was that he was shielding me from the child that was thrown out of the car. And he, he wasn't sure that child was alive or not. And I guess they got there pretty quick because they just had to come three miles, you know. But, uh, and they wouldn't let me anywhere near the, the accident. She says she doesn't remember that stretch of the Avenal cutoff being the site of many accidents at the time. I'd only ever seen satellite images from Google Maps, so I asked her to describe the area to me. As, as you come up from the flats, which we call them the flats, because it's just flat country, all the way to Hanford and Lemoore, Lemoore, Hanford, Fresno, it's almost flat all the way across. Right. No mountains, no hills, no nothing. But then you come to this little area that you come up and over what they call the Kettleman Hills, and that's where they, the Standard Oil had found their oil. So you come up these little hills, and at that time it was a pretty windy road up the mountain, up the hill, and that goes down into a beautiful valley. And when you top the hill... Then you wind down into this little valley. Okay. And it's, oh, probably not more than 1,000 feet, maybe. It's not very high. Okay. But it is a little bit of a, a, you know, at that time it was a windy road up the hill. And then you got to the top, and then you just went down the hill into Avenal. A word of caution that some of what she told me next is a bit graphic and may not be suitable for some listeners. And it was, and it was traumatic for me at 18. At 18, you just don't expect to come up on an accident that involves 
Well, but it was, it involved children, mm-hmm. and that's what bothered me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't give a hoot about the guys that hit him. I did care about that mom and daddy and those little boys. And I'm going to tell you something that's kind of horrendous. At the time, they didn't know the little girl was in the car. She was basically, in, because mama was holding her. And I guess she was basically embedded in the dashboard. Oh. And that's what always just... Oh, God, it just killed me. And to think that that little girl didn't have a chance, Mom and Dad didn't have a chance, and then those two little boys were left with... God only knew who. I didn't know who, you know, and it was, it worried me to death mm-hmm. for many years, many, many years. Yeah. You just tell your daddy and your uncle, there was one woman that all her life has thought about those two. The Fresno Bee Republican reported on the accident the following day, noting, Three persons were killed last night in a high-speed head-on collision on the Avenal Cutoff, two miles north of that city. Coroner Carl Hargis identified the dead in the Avenal crash as Gerald Klein, 24, who was dead on arrival at the Avenal District Hospital, his wife, Linda, 21, and a 13-month-old daughter, Robin, who were dead at the scene. In the Avenal accident, Hargis said, Klein, who was discharged from the Navy in June and was employed by the Standard Oil Company in Kalinga, was driving north on the cutoff when the southbound car, driven at a high speed by Thomas Kaler, traveling on the wrong side of the road, hit it head-on. Two other Klein children, Jerry, four, and Paul, three, were injured seriously. On Monday, November 8th, the Hanford Sentinel picked up the story, saying, Avenal Family Tragedy. Two small Avenal boys were orphaned in a head-on collision Saturday, which took the lives of their parents and baby sister in one of four accidents causing seven deaths on bloodied Kings County highways over the weekend. Highway patrolman said Thomas Kaler, 23, will be charged with felony drunken driving and four counts of manslaughter in the 7.05 p.m. tragedy along the Avenal cutoff south of Plymouth. Four-year-old Jerry Klein and his brother Paul, three, are still in Avenal District Hospital with multiple cuts and possible internal injuries. Attendants said Paul was in fair condition, but his brother is still on the hospital's critical list. Drunken driving was blamed in the Saturday deaths of the Kleins. Officers said Klein, 24, was northbound along the Avenal cutoff, driving downhill along a wide curve. Approaching uphill at high speed in the same lane was Kaler, driving on the wrong side of the road. Klein, an employee of Standard Oil, had moved to the Avenal area with his wife Linda, 21, and their children immediately after his discharge from the Navy last June. The family was on their way to spend the weekend with the Albert Burns family of Lamore Naval Air Station. This article was the first time I had ever seen the name Albert Burns. I've tried since to track him down, but I haven't had any luck. I can't imagine what it must have been like to plan a weekend with your friends and their children just to discover that they'd been in such a horrible accident. I do know what it was like for Jerry and Linda's family back home, though. Jerry's sister, my great-aunt Doris, recall what it was like to hear the news. Uh, well, I I found out my parents actually came to my house, and I lived about uh, eight miles from them. And uh, actually, my husband, I think my husband had played a gig that night. My husband used to play in a band. And I think he had played a gig that night. And we hadn't been in bed too long. 
and my mother came to the door and I went and answered the door and she said I didn't want to tell you over the phone and she broke the news to me and I was just in shock after after they left they didn't stay long they did just long enough to to break the news to me and I went to go back upstairs and there's a curb at the top of the steps but I walked right into the wall I almost fell backwards down the stairs I was just in so much shock mm-hmm. you know yeah even now you know mm-hmm. it's hard their sister Jenny has a similar story The Kleins had a large family of 11 children, and the story of their brother's death seemed to travel quickly from sibling to sibling. Jenny didn't want me to record our conversation, but she remembers being phoned by one of her brothers or sisters. She can't remember which one now, but she was a new parent in the haze of fresh motherhood. Her twins had just been born, but now her younger brother was gone. Linda's family was also on the telephone chain. Dan Klein, Jerry's father and the patriarch of the Klein family, phoned his daughter-in-law's parents to let them know what had happened. Linda's brother Lloyd was fairly young, but he still remembers how his parents were notified that something had happened. Jerry's grandfather contacted us. I think his name was Dan. Mm-hmm. Dan contacted us and said that there was, there was an accident, and that's, that's how my parents found out, and then they told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in seventh grade. In the years that followed, Jerry, Linda, and Robin's deaths weren't talked about much on either side of the family. Kathleen, Jerry's niece, says her uncle's death was very rarely discussed by her mother. And Celeste, Linda's niece, told me it was the same for her side of the family. But it wasn't talked about a lot, and I, I never knew why. Mm-hmm. I still to this day don't know why. Even my father wasn't immune from the lockdown on questions about his parents. He knew the basics, but was never told very much about his own life in California, the friends his parents had made, or the drunk driver that had taken their lives. Here's what he remembers happening in the months following the crash. As a child, I was told um, that um, my parents were killed by a drunk driver, um, that I that I had uh, gone through the windshield and I was in a coma. I didn't hear much other than that. Um, I just, a friend of my father's that brought us over, I don't remember. All I remember was that my grandmother told me that they were nice enough to uh, bring us back from California Mm -hmm. because they couldn't afford to go out and get us. Um, But that's basically what I was told, like, before that, as a little child, you know, I kept asking, I was at somebody's house, I can't remember who, and I kept asking my when my parents were coming to pick me up, and they got mad at me and said, stop asking about that, they're, they're not coming back. So, that's, I remember that, and then I remember just, I remember somebody taking a, a picture, like, seeing me watching TV, and I just remember them kept taking pictures of my head. So, like, I was watching TV, and I just see pictures, people at the side taking pictures of the side of my head and stuff. So. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to show the scar. Oh. 
and apparently the scar ran all the way back at one point, but oh. most of it's gone away. Mm -hmm. so. so, the friends, you said the friend that flew you back, do you, you don't know anything about them or what their names were? I don't know. I, my grandmother told me what their names were. I don't know, have an idea who they were. Mm -hmm. um, apparently they died. Um, he just, I think he died before um, I moved out. Like, I think it was just before I went to college or maybe a little after I went to college, they died, but I'm not sure. Okay. So I don't think they, I don't think they're living anymore. It was my father's Navy buddy, I think. Not sure. Was that, do you think that was the people that they were going to visit? I don't know. I don't know. Could be different people. Yeah. Now I'm faced with more questions. Who did take care of little Jerry and Paul? And who was Tommy Kaler? What was he up to that night? Was this a momentary lapse in judgment or a bad habit? Was he still alive? Did he feel regret? I started this journey seeking the answers to these questions, and now I'm ready to share them with you. I'll tell you all about the days after the accident, about Tommy Kaler and his life leading up to such a massive misstep, and how he died in his own tragic way. But first, I want to tell the stories of those involved. I want you to get to know them the way that I did. Because even though their deaths made the front page of the local paper, outside of their families, Jerry and Linda didn't seem to make a lot of waves socially. Their move to California was not big news. The schoolmates that I talked to didn't know Jerry had died until I contacted them more than 40 years later. In an email, a member of the board of an Anvil Cleona High School alumni group, that's my grandfather's high school, told me that she didn't know he was dead, writing, You have my sympathy on the death of your grandfather. I had no idea he died. I don't recall seeing his obit. Another schoolmate, a man named Ray who grew up in the same neighborhood as Jerry and was in the same grade, remembers going to school with my grandfather. Yeah, I believe he quit maybe around the 10th grade or so. I didn't see him in the yearbook anymore after that. After he left school, um, he kind of like just disappeared. Nobody seems to know what happened to him. Jerry was a mystery to Ray. And even still, up until recently, this distant acquaintance from Anvil, PA, knew more about my grandfather than I did. So what did happen to him in the years leading up to the accident? Who was my grandfather, and why did he disappear? That's next time on Here's What I've Heard. Here's What I've Heard is produced by Courtney Abood and Craig Brown. Musical direction was provided by Julia Cannon, featuring Bobby Steinfeld on piano. Big thanks to two of our patrons, Nick Mendez and Martha Klein. To be a patron and gain access to exclusive content, Plus, hear your name listed on an upcoming episode as someone we just couldn't do all this without. Visit patreon.com slash here's what I've heard. If you like here's what I've heard, please subscribe and leave a rating. Have comments or questions about the show? Please contact us by emailing the team at here's what I've heard.com. <laughs>